For those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex Richardson. I'm one of the staff members here at Rich Hill Presbyterian Church. Um, just two announcements before we turn to the preaching of God's Word. There was a Bible uh, left in the women's toilets. It's been moved uh, to the foyer. So if that's you, if you've got your Bible, you'll be able to locate it uh, in the women's foyer. Um, or the, the women's foyer. The foyer, it's for everyone. <laughs> we believe in equality. Um, the, the, the second thing um, to announce is that next term, there are growth group booklets um, for everyone that's involved in growth groups. Rather than handing out uh, question sheets um, every week, um, we've put together a booklet this term um, for next term, and I'll take us through Matthew 8 um, to 12. So after church, um, if you're in a growth group, please go to the foyer um, and lift one. Uh, Dylan Kerr and David McClellan, two of our apprentices, and they'll be manning uh, the station. So uh, sign your name just to make sure uh, we know that, that you've got one. If you're not in a growth group, please don't lift one. If you're not in a growth group and you would like to join a growth group, uh, please don't lift it. Don't lift one yet. Um, come and speak to me after. and We'd, uh, we'd love to sort you out. Uh, and leaders, if you can lift one um, for our meeting tonight, uh, that, that would be great. Um, I think that's everything. Oh, it's free. Um, it's always a good thing. It's free. So Merry Christmas from, uh, from, from RPC. Let's pray before we... Uh, Turn to God's word again. Father in heaven, we, we really need your help to understand your word. And not only to understand it, but to understand it in a way that it would change our lives. Father, our heart's desire is to bring you glory. And so we ask that you would come by the power of your spirit, you would engage our hearts and our minds and that you would teach us for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Don't build your house on the sandy lands. Don't build it too near the shore. It might look kind of nice. You'll have to build it twice. You'll have to build your house once more. This morning, we, we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, a wise man who builds his house on a rock. When the storm comes, the flood comes, the rain falls, the waters rise, the wind beats against the house, the house stands. He says, everyone who listens to my words but does not practice them is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. Storm comes, the rain falls, the waters rise, the wind beats against the house, and the house falls. It falls with a great crash. Why does Jesus finish his sermon like this? Normally, when we finish sermons, we, we use really simple language. We, we use language uh, that people can understand. We, we normally bring an application like repent and believe, confess and trust. Jesus uses a metaphor. He talks about sand. He talks about rocks. He talks about houses and storms. Why does Jesus finish his sermon like this? 
Have we been getting it all wrong? Should we be giving you advice for, for the foundation of, of how to build your house? Why does Jesus finish his sermon like this? Well, to understand why Jesus finishes, concludes his sermon, we have to look at the context. And the context in which this has been written, in which these words have been spoken, is one of righteousness, criticism, and invitation. Perhaps the most important verse in the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 20. It says, except your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is consumed with greater righteousness. You can't miss what he's saying in this Sermon on the Mount. Unlike this sermon that, you might, that you're about to listen to, you just can't miss what Jesus is talking about. Greater righteousness. And so he begins the sermon with, with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes show the heart of the greater righteousness. True member of God, here's what your heart looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. This is what your heart looks like, this heart of greater righteousness, this heart of righteousness of the kingdom of God. And he goes on. He looks at our greater righteousness in relation to the law. We see Jesus fulfilling the law. He, and, and he talks about anger, lust, divorce, loving your enemies. And then he moves to this greater righteousness in devotion to God what does, what does giving look like as a Christian? Generosity, prayer, fasting, these religious practices that we have. And then he moves to a greater righteousness that relates to the world, both the material things we possess and people, our relationship to money, things, anxiousness, judging other people, Asking and seeking, knocking, the golden rule. Consumed with greater righteousness. And after Jesus finishes talking about this greater righteousness, he, he, he then moves, he, he shifts to criticism. And what you have in verses 13 to 23 is perhaps the harshest and most stinging criticism that Jesus would make of religious people. See, we can think that Jesus is simply talking about worldly living. Those atheist people that live on the broad road. And I'm not saying he's not talking about that in those verses. But the context in which Jesus is speaking these words is one where he's putting his words against that of the Pharisees. We see that throughout the Sermon on the Mount and we see that in the final verse in verse 29. Jesus teaches as one with authority. People are astonished because he doesn't teach like the scribes or the Pharisees. And he says, these, these Pharisees, they're like false prophets. What Jesus does here is says, it's me against them. 
It's the kingdom of God against the kingdom of religion. And so what he's saying is it's religious people, the highly moral, the self-justified, that are people who are also on the broad road. And before we think to ourselves, I don't struggle with this. Before we think to ourselves, this isn't an issue for me. Before you say to yourself, I know someone here this morning and they really need to hear this. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What's the issue there? Jesus says that the the issue is that the public persona, the public presentation, it doesn't match the internal reality. The public activity, the public participation does not match the spiritual reality of the heart. Now think about that. Is there not a warning to all of us this morning? There is for every one of us in this room the danger of externalism. Oh, I've moved on too far. The danger of externalism. Externalism is a participation in the culture and the activities of Christianity, yet it's a Christianity that does not engage the heart. Jesus says you're participating in external Christianity, yet your heart, it's not owned, it's not ruled, it's not finding its motivation in the grace that I have offered you. That's not something that only first century Jewish teachers struggled with. There's a danger in that for all of us. And it takes many forms in 21st century Northern Irish Christian culture. Formalism. What does formalism do? It reduces Christianity down to participation in scheduled meetings and ministry. Are those meetings and that ministry important? Yes, of course they are. But Christianity can't be reduced down to that. Legalism, where our Christianity gets put into into rules. I just want to make sure I'm keeping the rules. I'm doing okay. Maybe it's biblicism. Gets reduced down to theological knowledge and Bible literacy. We can't define Christianity that way. Or perhaps it's activism. Christianity gets defined by how much we do, by all the things that we serve in, all the Christian causes that we contribute towards. And important as they are, Christianity cannot be reduced down to just that. See, Jesus says this morning, if you build your life on those things, on externalism, on goodish, Christianish, religious things, if you reduce Christianity down to something you can manage, to something that you end up trusting in your own ability to save you, to make you think that you're okay with Jesus, Jesus says you're in grave, grave danger. He says to the person who's confident in their own ability, you're foolish. You're foolish. Because you're building your house on sand. 
You're building your salvation on sand. And he says it's foolish. Because when the storm comes, when the rain falls, when the wind beats, pounds against the house, those religious practices are self-confidence. It's done away with. It crashes. The house falls. That's the message here this morning. It's also the message in Luke 18, 9 to 14. You can turn there with me if you want. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus is telling this parable. And we see there, he's telling it to who? To people who are trusting in themselves. And he tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. What's this man boasting about? He's boasting about the practices, about some of the practices on the Sermon on the Mount. He's boasting about how he can keep this greater righteousness. He's trusting in his God-given righteousness to make him good, to make him right before the Father. And it's interesting. He even acknowledges the Lord. Father, I thank you. But he thanks him for his own righteousness. And Jesus says, it's the wrong foundation. See, if this guy was going to the courtroom, if he was going to the courtroom and he was laying out the evidence for why he should be saved, for why he should be declared right before the God of the universe, he would be saying, my righteousness. I trust in my own ability to keep the law. And Jesus says in this parable, it's not that guy who walks away justified. Jesus pleads with us this morning, don't do that. Don't be foolish. Don't build your house, your life on the sand. He pleads with us to listen to him and heed him. And he invites us this morning to build our life on a very different foundation. We're going to ask three questions. What is the foundation we're to build our life on? How are we to build our life on this foundation? And why do we build our life on this foundation? What is the foundation we're to build our life on? Well, it's to bring glory to our Father in heaven. We could say God. We could say we're to build our life on Jesus. But we must be more specific than that. What does Jesus say in verse 24 again? It's not just the listening, but the putting into practice of his words that makes someone wise. Now, what are the words that Jesus has been speaking time and time again? in this sermon. When it comes to worry, 
Trust your Father in heaven. When it comes to prayer, pray to your Father in heaven. And when you pray to your Father in heaven, pray, Father, glorified be your name. When it comes to fasting, fast to your Father in heaven. When it comes to giving, give to your Father in heaven. When it comes to loving your enemies, love your enemies in a way that it brings glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus says you're the salt and the light of the earth. Why? So that people may see your good deeds and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus says time and time again, the motive for practicing this greater righteousness is to glorify our Father in heaven. You can understand what I'm talking about here, even if we think about this with other relationships. I can say to Rachel, you're a great nurse. You're a fantastic nurse. I can do that for for two reasons. I can do it to to get in her good books after annoying her, um, so that she, she loves me again. Or I can do that because I actually want to honor her. I actually want to give her glory. One is to get her love, to get her praise, in order for me to be liked again. It's really all about self-glorification. And the other is to actually bring her glory. One of those motives is sand. One of those motives is rock. And Jesus says, the reason you're distinct is for God to be made glorious. It's not for people to look at you and say, oh, you're such a great person. It's for them to glorify your Father in heaven. This morning, I wonder, has your heart been expanded beyond the borders of what you feel, of what you want, and of your kingdom? Has your heart been expanded to the glory of God, to the borders of the kingdom of God? Do you actually, in reality, live for something bigger than yourself? Do the purposes of God and the glory of God rule you at work, your family life, your hobbies, when you're on your phone, on your computer? When you're in traffic, when you're holding that paycheck, when you're doing all your church activities, are you living for the glory of God? That's the first thing. The second thing is, how are we to bring glory to the Father? Well, it's by recognition and surrender. Firstly, it's by recognizing that we can't live up to this righteousness. How do you interpret the words of the Sermon on the Mount? How do those words make you feel? Jesus says, when it comes to fidelity in your marriage, in your words, in your oaths, it's not just the outside, it's the inside that must be faithful. When it comes to loving your enemies, it's not just the outside, it's, it's the inside. I want your heart to be loving. When it comes to anger, when it comes to lust, I don't want the outside to be clean. I want you to be pure in heart. In your prayer life, giving to the needy, fasting, 
Let those things go unseen. Don't do it so other people will see. Money, what's in your bank account? How you spend it? What you treasure? Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. He says don't judge people unfairly. Don't look down upon people. Don't be harsh. Don't be condemning. This deeper righteousness, how does it make you feel? What comes into your head when you hear those commands? See, if Rachel says to me, Alex, you're going to nurse today, and you have, you have to do everything that I do, and you have to do it to my standard, how do you think I would feel? How would you feel if you had to do that and you're not a nurse? Well, I reckon as she runs through all the things that I have to do, all the things that I have to know, I would quickly recognize that I couldn't do her job. I couldn't live up to her standard. I couldn't do things to the same standard that she could. Maybe if it's going on strike, yes. But apart from that, I'm snookered. And we as followers of Jesus, we're meant to interpret these words by saying, Father, I cannot do this. I cannot live up to this greater righteousness. I can't achieve this. Does that not give the Father glory? Rachel, I can't do this, but you can. You've been through the training. You've got the experience. Does that not give her glory? Recognizing that she's far better than me at her job. Father, I can't do this. Father, I can't do this. But you can because you're God and I'm not. We're to recognize our inability to attain this greater righteousness. And that leads us to the second thing. We not only give God glory by recognizing our inadequacy, but by surrendering to him. If we think about Luke 18, 9 to 14 again. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's the attitude of this man? God, I can't do it. Have mercy on me. God, only you can do this. Only you can achieve this righteousness for me. This man, he says, I come with nothing. I come with nothing in my hands that I can give to you to attain this greater righteousness. And I throw myself on your mercy. I surrender myself to you. If we go back to the courtroom, the tax collector says, my evidence for obtaining this greater righteousness is not in my ability but it's in the God of the universe. Surrender. That's what you and I 
are called to do. Surrender to the Father, to ask, to seek, to knock. To Christ, Spirit, help me do this because I cannot do this in my own strength. To look to the man who accomplished this greater righteousness through his perfect, obedient life to the Father. To the man who was solely concerned about bringing glory to his Father in heaven. To the man who did not give in to temptation. To the man who hung on a cross so that you and I might be forgiven for all the times that we don't hold on to this righteousness, that we don't live up to this greater righteousness. To the man who by his resurrection has given us the ability to try and live this way to please our Father. We're to surrender to our God. I wonder this morning, does Christ own your heart? Does Jesus own your heart? Does he own your motivations? Does he own your thoughts? The fruit that is flowing in your life, is it flowing as a result of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work in your life? Have you recognized and surrendered? Finally, why do we build our lives on this foundation? Well, when storms come, we endure. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. The reason we build our lives upon bringing glory to the Father by recognizing our inadequacy and surrendering to Him is because that foundation stands when storms come. What storms do we face? Well, I would love to talk uh, about many. I'd love to talk about temptation, final judgment. But I want to talk about one. I want to talk about suffering. Let's think about suffering. Two houses are built on a good day. When the sun is shining, when the flowers are out, campfire, marshmallows. Both houses look the same on a good day. The Christian house, the religious house, they look the same. But they're not. They're not because the foundation of one is a rock and the foundation of the other is sand. And that's why it's often the storms in our life that reveal who we really are. It's the storms in our life that reveal whether the scaffolding we are using to hold our lives, to build our lives, really works. It can hold us on a good day. What about a bad day? What about a bad season? What about a wretched, 
year? What about a life-changing event for the rest of your life? The storm pounds. It pounds against the house. One falls, one stands. How does it stand? How does it stand? Because it's founded on a rock. It's founded on giving glory to the Father. It's founded on recognition and surrender. It's founded on His grace. And this becomes our testimony. I mean, what does a house look like that's been through a storm? It's not clean, it's not pristine. It's got mud stains, it's got water stains, it's got algae. The roof, part of it's blown off. But the house stands. Why? Jesus says it stands because it's on a rock. And what Jesus is saying here, he says, it's not a house I'm talking about, it's your life. It's your life I'm talking about. And some of you are standing here this morning. You're mud-stained, you're water-stained, the roof, it's been blown off. You feel like a mess, you feel broken, but you're standing. You're standing, you're listening, you're coming to church, you're praying, you're loving others. And we ask, how? How can that be the case? And you say, and Jesus says, it's because your life is built on a rock. It's built on the rock of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you may be praying, Father, I really don't know why I'm going through this. I really don't know the answers. You may be in so much pain. There may be sleepless nights, but you're here. You're here this morning because you know that your Father loves you, He knows you, and He has you. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, if you're suffering, and there's many of you, Jesus wants to say to you, you're wise. You're wise. You are so, so wise. You recognize you can't do it, and you've surrendered to him. Young people, you want to be wise. Yes, read your Bible, pray, come to church. They're all really, really good things. But just look at people who have suffered our suffering. Look at how given what they've been through, they come here. And you see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work in their life. It's so evident that despite all they've been through, all they're going through, they say, Father, I don't get it. I don't get why I'm going through this. This isn't how things are meant to be. I recognize that. I recognize I can't do this on my own. But I surrender to you because you're my Father in heaven. I surrender all my worries all my anxieties, all my stresses. And I come here on a Sunday and I sing to my Father. I bow my head and pray, Father. I read my Bible to hear from my Father.
That's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work. The Lord Jesus Christ has made someone, has made those people very wise. We started by saying that there's an invitation here. There's a decision to make. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. A foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There's a decision to be made. This morning, I ask you, what's your decision? What's your decision? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your word to us. Father, we thank you for these words. Father, we ask that you would take them, that you would apply them to our hearts, to our minds, by your spirit. Father, we ask that you would change us by these words so that we might be wise, that we might glorify you by recognizing our inadequacy and surrendering to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.